you know, we realize this, we're in a lot of trouble. This country's in trouble, the state's in trouble. And, you know, it, we, if we don't run, if we continue to just leave these, Repu leave Republican seats uncontested to the Democrats, nothing's gonna change. If, they're, if a Democrat has no challenger, they're guaranteed to win. So, you know, it's, I realized in 2019, the half, a lot of these Democrats didn't have challengers. And I thought, you know, we can't let that happen this year. Um, we've got to give them a challenger. And you know what? Sometimes it takes somebody on the outside stepping up to the game. You know, you've got two options. You can either continue saying this is not good and pity or do something about it. Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck, even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to the Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host, of course. And just uh, before we get into today's interview with Julie Perry, I wanted to uh, just talk for a quick moment about something that's been driving me crazy lately. Um, so uh, conservatives out there and even um, people that aren't conservatives, maybe liberals, maybe apolitical people, you've been kind of championing a phrase or thought, an idea um, and that idea is that the solution to all of our problems kind of rest at the feet of young people. And we're saying, you know, we really hope that that middle schoolers, that high schoolers, that college students um, start, you know, activist campaigns, start conservative groups. We really hope that they start pushing back in the classroom that, you know, they they take risks. And the problem is we're asking them to take risks that we're not willing to take ourselves. Uh, where We know that in a lot of these instances, uh, relationships with teachers, with professors, with guidance counselors will be ruined. Um, I experienced that myself. The very first uh, episode that I aired with Ann Gumala, she experienced that way back in the early 2000s uh, in her high school in Oklahoma, which is a very red state. Um, so we know that this type of, you know, more than political, but societal ostracization is happening. And we're asking that the young people do it, that the young people sacrifice, and the excuses are ready, always at the ready with the excuses. Guys, adults were saying things like, 
you know, well, I've got so much to lose. I can't really uh, take that type of risk. I've got mortgage. I've got bills. I've, I've got kids going to college and all this stuff. So instead, we kick the can and we're not even kicking it down the road. We can see the people we're kicking it to and we're saying, hey, you know, you should make these bold decisions. You should make these sacrifices. You should be standing um, in the town square, in the organizations in your community. You should be taking the stand in the boardroom or, you know, when your senior managers are talking some kind of woke nonsense. Why in the world should young people do this work that we're not willing to do ourselves? You know, parents out there, why in the world would your kid do something that is exactly the opposite of the behavior that you model for them? They wouldn't. The answer is they wouldn't. You're being a coward and you're raising the next generation of cowards and you're hoping and praying that maybe they'll be a little bit more fortuitous than you. No, that's not going to fly. You've got to stop going along to get along. You've got to, you know, it's see something, say something. You've got to stand up. You've got to show young people this is what it looks like to take a stand. This is what it looks like to say, no, all white people aren't racist. That's ridiculous. This is what it looks like to say, obviously, the police aren't hunting black people. 12 million law enforcement professionals out there. If a quarter of them killed one black person a year, that would be tremendous. That would be a huge number. But no one's standing up and saying, you know, the truth. And people say truth to power. And there's the hashtag truth to power on Twitter. I'm calling bullcrap. You are not speaking truth to power. You are putting your head down, eyes down at the desk, hoping and praying that no one on the meeting, in the boardroom, wherever you are, hoping that no one calls on you to give an account because you're going to lie through your teeth because you're being cowards. So stop trying to get the kids to do stuff that you're not willing to do yourself. So that's all I have for this little introductory. Uh, Now we are going to dive into... My interview with Julie. Um, Guys, if you live in the Northern Virginia area, uh, particularly the 86th, oh, is it 87th District? 86th or 87th District, uh, then definitely check out Julie Perry. Um, Get on her website, um, you know, schedule a call with her and uh, learn some of her positions. um, If you're, especially if you're a constituent in her district, and um, make a difference at the ballot box. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Today, we have Julie Perry, who is an educator and uh, wife and uh, a little bit of a military brat, but not really because she did get to spend uh, most of her upbringing in the D.C. metro area in Annapolis. You you said Annapolis, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But she's running for House Delegate in the 86th. It sounded like I said delicate, delegate in Virginia's 86th district, and uh, we're really excited to hear um, you know, why she's running and some ideas that she has. Uh, Julie, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing just the same. I uh, can't complain. My children didn't wake me up in the middle of the night last night for the first <laughs> night in maybe 10 days. 
Uh, so oh, now that's always an accomplishment there. <laughs> yeah, it's the sign of good a good day to come, hopefully. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so you know, for our listeners, a lot of our listeners don't live in Virginia, um, but tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're running uh, for the Virginia House of Delegates. Yes, so my name is Julie Perry, and I am a teacher. I am a wife to my amazing husband, Michael Perry, and I am running for House of Delegates in the 80, Virginia um, 86th District. And the reason I'm running is because, um, of course, the events that have gone on this past year in our country, a lot of it has not been for the good. Um, a lot of it's been negative, but especially as a teacher um, and watching my kids have to do to have to teach my kids virtually has been very tough. It's been very tough on my kids. It's been tough on me. It's been tough on their parents. Um, it's been devastating to see their grades go down from last year. Um, and they just, they need that in-person interaction. They need that five days a week. And so, you know, with virtual, they're missing, they're really missing out on a lot of academic stuff. They're missing out on homecomings. They missed out in the fall. They couldn't play fall sports. Um, and they couldn't do a lot of other things because they didn't have the opportunity to be in school. So it was very devastating to watch as a teacher um, and having the front row seat to that. But also, right now, going on what's going on in the schools with critical race theory, um, that's not, it's very negative on our students. Um, because it's teaching students that one size fits all and they have to think a certain way. And it's, you're putting students to shame if they don't think that way. And the other thing that just occurred is the state of Virginia is, uh, the Virginia Department of Education is looking to take away all accelerated math courses before 11th grade. And they're looking to take away the advanced studies diploma. And so these, if you take those things away, it's going to have a lot of devastating impacts on our students. Um, and then the other th reason I'm running is because um, it's pretty scary what, how our politicians are treating law enforcement officers. Um, you know, they are the key to our civil liberties. Uh, we saw what happened last summer in Seattle when they had that police autonomous zone for 28 days. We're talking about the summer of love. We were thinking oh, about yeah. going out there and catching some of the, the festival vibe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was listening to the residents that lived there. They lived in absolute fear that whole time. And those businesses couldn't function. And so what that shows is we need our policemen. Um, without them, you know, people can run the streets and it's, you know, you're not going to feel safe. And so we've got to back our law enforcement. And then third is the taxes. Um, the taxes are getting higher, it seems, each year. And unfortunately, it's, uh, it's hurting families and it's driving businesses out of Virginia. So we've got to lower the taxes and we've got to bring people back to Virginia and we've got to have businesses come back because that's how our economy flows. It's interesting to watch... Um, we, we know how this works, but it's interesting to watch people that can't figure it out. It's almost like when you're watching a child and they're trying to figure out how something works, usually something simple, 
you know, like a cup and they keep spilling it on themselves. They're like, why? Why is this coming out like that? Other people don't use it like this. It's like trying to watch someone who doesn't understand the economy and doesn't understand like the businesses are leaving and they're kind of consistently there's more outflow than inflow. And we know it's because of terrible policies, because of rising taxes, because of increasing, you know, encroachment into the privacy and, and the freedoms of the businesses. But there are so many people, particularly here in Virginia, um, and even smaller shot group here in northern Virginia where we are. I'm, I'm a county over from Julie. Um, actually, no, I think I think you're just on the end. Are you in Fairfax County? Yeah, but I'm on the edge of Fairfax County. Okay, yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle yeah. of Loudoun. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they don't make the connection like, oh, this is why the businesses are leaving. This is why they prefer these other environments. It's almost like certain states are becoming non-permissive environments for businesses that just want to operate and, you know, raise money and take care of their employees and, kind of do basic business stuff. Um, they used to teach that in school and they used to teach, you know, economics in school. Um, but it's really over the last 30 years, arithmetic, basic math, financial math, especially you watch people struggle. Um, if they get a check and they're like, all right, I'm trying to figure out if it's not 10 or 50%, they're screwed. They're like, how do I calculate 15, 20, 35% of this whole number. Um, but it's kind of been supplanted with STEM, which is interesting. You know, there was the Cold War and a lot of different technology races. Um, but, you know, STEM has kind of overtaken math, and there are a lot of advanced maths that people take. And I have my ideas about that, but I'm so glad that you brought it up. Here in Virginia, they're considering getting rid of basically any type of advanced if they're doing it to math then quickly everything else will follow advanced english government um any yeah. type of advanced studies yeah. because of the equity problem um which you know i i force myself to watch an ad from um from your your opposition and it was in the education piece and also in the workforce piece it was heavy in the equity uh, which, of course, we know is it, it, it doesn't work the way that they do. So, so what do you think? What can you tell the listeners about what's going to happen if we go down this road? We get rid of advanced studies um, instead of letting brighter students flourish and be an example for some of your middle of the road, you know, kind of rising tide rises all boats thing. What's going to be the condition of our schools <laughs> Once we get rid of this well, stuff. To, well, to start with, um, you're going to have a lot of students lose motivation because they're just going to be like, you know, if they can't better themselves, um, you're going to have a lot of students that are just not going to care. The other thing, too, is as a teacher, when a student is bored or a student is not challenged enough, it can cause very serious behavior problems. Um, and so this will cause, um, if they make every student take the same math class, there will be students that get very bored 
and it will they will act out. It will cause major behavior problems. Um, and so there are students, you know, a couple years ago, I had a student who really, she, she really struggled in reading and writing and, uh, she couldn't, she didn't pass and a reading or writing SOL or science. The only, her subject was math. She was so good at math and it made her feel good that she could actually do well in math. And so to take something like that away from a student, like a student who struggles and say reading or writing, you're taking away somebody's self-esteem almost. You're taking away their, their drive, their motivation. And I had another student um, years, a couple years back who was, he was, um, he basically had trouble with, he had social skills problems and um, he did struggle a little bit in reading and writing, but he was so good at math and he would get so excited and tell me, you know, what he could do in his math class. And so, you know, I, I thought about those former students and, and it's just like, how can you take that away from them? You know? Um, and so, and the other thing too, is the advanced studies diploma. It pushes kids, it motivates students. You know, I have several students right now that are on the advanced um, studies diploma. And they're like, we want to be on that diploma because it's motivating. It challenges them. It thrives for them to be better. So don't take that away from those kids. Um, and you know what? I was not in advanced classes growing up. I was a slower student. I didn't get things as well, but you know what? That's okay. Did I feel beneath the advanced students? No. It's just that I have different talents and that's okay. You know, when I was in school, I was actually a special ed student myself and I had an IEP. And you know what? I had to work harder than um, most of my peers, but that's okay. Because you know what? It's not about who gets things right away. It's about how hard you work. And that's what I was taught with, and that's what we have to strive for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. De-incentivizing a generation of students is not going to be in their best interest. It's not going to be in uh, their families, their future spouses, the you know, where they go to college or where they end up. And hopefully they stay here in Virginia, but it's not going to be in the best interest of their, of the workforce or their career um, because it's limiting. It, it's limiting. It's a huge limiting factor that just caps, you know, not what they're capable of, but what they're being encouraged and incentivized and motivated yeah. to do. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, um. With all of COVID-19 going on, I think we're, we're approaching, I don't know, the 380th day or so, uh, right. 15 days to flatten the curve, um, at least at the time of this recording. Um, so obviously the authorities that are usually held up are medical authorities, um, and, and for good reason. Um, usually parents are kind of disregarded what, 
what they think about the school situation because, you know, parents are thought to be alarmist or um, there was a lot of stuff going on social media and then in the regular media about they just want babysitters. Um, but you've experienced the actual impact that that lockdowns or at least prolonged remote learning um, has on kids and on their ability to learn and interact. Um, and I, I know like we homeschool and we, we actually moved here recently. So I don't have uh, many friends or acquaintances that are educators. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like what it's been like teaching and um, how it's impacted, you know, the relationships between the kids or the relationships between the teachers and the kids um, I, I know sports was out for a, a good while. And again, I, I'd say in the beginning, we don't know what we don't know. But here we are. Goodness, it is like the end of April. It's been a while. It's been a while since all of this stuff has gone on. Um, but can you talk to us about, you know, what it's been like for everyone involved? Well, I can tell you as a... a when I, when I had to teach virtually this year, um, it's different. You can't see your students' faces. You don't know what's going on. Um, obviously, um, you know, you're going to get distracted when you're at home and there's no teacher around to, you know, just see what you're doing or your parents may be at work because I teach high school. So my kids can obviously stay home by themselves, but you know, when you are, when, when you're a student, when, if you're 14, 15, 16 years old and you're home by yourself taking classes and nobody's there to check on you, it's easy to get distracted. You know, it's so, it's, it's, and it's not the same as being in person. You know, um, when you, I, we did not, my kids finally got to come back to school March 2nd. And when they came, when some of my students came back, I finally felt like I was building relationships with them because I could see them. And like now I can, I talk to my students. It's like a world of a difference. Um, a lot of my students that were not doing so well are doing much better now that they're in person um, because they can see me. I can see them. I can, they can raise their hand. It's very different when you see somebody physically in person because they're in front of you. You can see each other's facial reactions. You're, I can walk around, see if they're, they're okay, see if they um, understand everything. It makes a big, big difference. Being on, being on a Zoom or being online and being in person are very, very different things. And so... You can, you, there's no, you can't, we can't make our kids turn on the webcams. And so you, you just can't force it. And a lot of kids aren't comfortable. Um, but when you're in person, they're a lot more comfortable. And the, and you know, the kids that have come to school in person are, they've spoken up, they've asked questions, they talk to me now. They didn't do that when we were all virtual. So, you just don't know what's going on behind that camera or behind um, behind them at home. And so, and a lot of times they get distracted and a lot of times it's not their fault. They've got little siblings. Maybe they have to watch or, you know, maybe the dog had an accident or there's just a lot of distractions at home 
that these kids can't do anything about. So being in the classroom is the best thing for them because they can focus on their learning when they're physically in the classroom instead of the distractions that are taking place at home. Yeah, I think I think when it first happened, when it happened to the workforce, when it happened to schools, everyone was a little bit excited, like, sweet, oh. I can wear pajama bottoms. I can roll out of bed and go to my meeting. I can roll out of bed and go to my math class. Um, I think there was that initial excitement. And, Absolutely. you know, it's something different, something new. Uh, but no one really stopped to kind of count the cost and say, what what is the effect of doing this for 15 days going to be? I, I don't honestly think that that question was asked, but here we are. Um, and there are still a lot of places where they are not doing in-person anything. Um, <clears throat> luckily, you know, Virginia isn't too crazy. Um, <laughs> if, you know, and we tell people this, if people weren't wearing masks, like if, if there weren't masks and face shields or all of the ads for vaccines and stuff, you'd actually be hard-pressed to tell that there was a pandemic. It'd, it'd be very difficult without all the signaling. Um, and I find myself forgetting from time to time, you know, because uh, even apart from COVID, I, I work from home and... Um, I, I go about my life doing my normal stuff. So if I don't see the stuff to remind me like, oh, yeah, there's there's a pandemic, which is interesting. Um, but the impact that it's had on schools, I think, is is really unfortunate. And we're going to be dealing with it because this was an entire year. Um, so these effects are going to be kind of manifesting um, over the next several years and, and early into these students' careers. And just the messaging, because of the equity agenda, because of the critical race theory agenda, the messaging has to be disheartening. It can't be hopeful. It can't be, hey, kids, you're bright. You're all capable of anything. And like what well, you were saying, um, that you you dealt with special needs, and it sounded like you had excellent uh, educators, and even more so the educators that deal with special needs. But what if they were just saying, you're never going to be as smart, as good, as valuable as these other students, and then instead went even further and said that the other students were out to get you, they hate you, they're oppressing you, you're this lesser class and that's what's going on. It's it's reintroducing a caste system, this this social monster. Um, and I really think it's important mm -hmm. to fight it on the school front because I think that's where it starts and it goes out into society from there, everywhere, to colleges, to workplaces, to just towns. Um, and it's nuts. And, you know, I... If you can stomach it, listeners, just check out whoever's, you know, odds are whoever's running uh, for the Democratic Party in your area. Check out some of their ads and listen to the messaging. And it's um, it's a little bit sick, really, to think about it, to to 
train kids this way. It's it's indoctrination is what it is. Um, but anyway, we're glad you're running. And that brings me to what I had to ask you because you are um, on the Joe Mobley show. Often I talk about, you know, I'm an uncloseted conservative. I'm, you know, I'm a veteran. Uh, I, I don't really care so much what people think and my, my colleagues know and people in my social circles, but deciding to run for office and as, as representative of a political party and putting that R after your name, um, is a little bit of, it's a modern coming out type of thing. Um, so you know, what, what were you dealing with where you just decided I have to do it? I have to throw my hat in the ring where, were people pushing you into it? Did you just wake up one day, look over at Mike and say, it's going to go down, babe, we're, we're doing this thing. And he's just like, what, what's happening? Um, how, how did this come about? I had thought about it a little bit in the fall because, you know, <clears throat> because of everything going on. But um, one night in early February, my husband and I were out to dinner with a couple friends, and um, we were talking about the upcoming Virginia race this year, and we were talking about how Virginia is one of three states in the country that has an off-year election for governor's race. And um, I had asked, I said, so do we have, is there somebody running in um, every House of Delegates district? And uh, one of the friends said, no, what district do you live in? And I said, 86. And he said, uh, Julie, I really think you should run um, because you are passionate. You did a lot of volunteer work with us in the fall. And I really think you should run. I think you've got it. And I think um, and I, I said, OK. My, my husband said, go for it. Go for it. He's actually really excited. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, let's think about it over the weekend. And I'll get back to you like Tuesday. I believe it was Tuesday. And so we had thought about it and prayed about it. And, you know, we realized this, we're in a lot of trouble. This country's in trouble. The state's in trouble. And, you know, it, we if we don't run, if we continue to just leave these, Repu leave Republican seats uncontested to the Democrats, nothing's going to change. If they're, if a Democrat has no challenger, they're guaranteed to win. So, you know, it's, I realized in 2019, the half, a lot of these Democrats didn't have challengers. And I thought, you know, we can't let that happen this year. Um, we've got to give them a challenger. And you know what? Sometimes it takes somebody on the outside stepping up to the game. You know, you've got two options. You can either continue saying this is not good and pity or do something about it. And you're, you know, you want to do something about it the right way instead of protesting, instead of burning down cities, instead of looting and rioting, that's not going to solve anything. If you're not happy, get involved in politics, get involved with your yeah. local, um, uh, uh, get it with your local Democrat or uh, Republican chapter, you know, and if you, in, if need be run, run for office and make a change. That's the right way to do things. A lot of people don't think that uncontested elections are a big deal. Um, but I think it does two things. Uh, one, practically speaking, 
the more challenge there are challengers there are for the different districts for all of the different elections the the PACs in any individual state only have so much money um, and all of that money they want to use as much as they can for the gubernatorial races especially in the years when they have them um, so running has an impact on the pocketbook it does um, these challenge races. But the other thing, if we're honest on social media, I've, I've found this in my life and I really have to work hard to find stuff from the other side. Um, on our mobile devices, um, sometimes even the ads that we see on TV, they're catered to us. They want to show us what we like, what we want to see, what we want to hear. Um, and you can really live in an echo chamber, whatever side of the aisle you're on. If you're an apolitical person, they can send you a political propaganda to to make you think that being independent or not caring about politics is the best. You know they're they're feeding yeses and agreeableness to everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the only times that you organically hear arguments from the other side, reasonable arguments, the only times that you hear people that care who have a different opinion than you is usually during these races. Um, and they're all important school board races, which are usually air quotes here, apolitical, um, <laughs> but school board races, you know, county supervisors, um, mm-hmm. or, uh, most states have not board of supervisors, but city council all the way up to governor, senator, or congressman, or woman, uh, president, mm-hmm. those, that's when you hear the other side articulated. You hear, you know, we say fiscal responsibility over and over and over again. But one of the only times you hear someone explain what is fiscal responsibility is during campaign ads, during debates. Um, yeah, so I I agree with with this friend that you had. I'm glad that you're running. Um, I am not running. Uh, also, we moved back here in October. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Spent some time in Oklahoma, um, but yeah, we went there for a two-year assignment, and we were there for six years. So, yeah, okay. we also went there with no children and left at three. So that's what there is to do in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, so what are what are you excited about? What are you kind of nervous about on the road ahead? It's it's April 20 something right now. Um, so you've got some time and like you had mentioned, um, off air, Virginia does early voting. Um, you know, how, how's the ride been? What are you excited about? What, what are you nervous about? So I'm excited to just meet more people. Um, I'm actually looking forward to door to door knocking and speaking at more events. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about the, obviously the fundraising. I'll have to raise, you know, raise money and asking for money is not my thing. Um, But I know it's towards the public. Um, And then, you know, the other thing too is, you know, I want to make sure I'm prepared and I I know the issues. And so I've been learning them because of course I, you know, I wouldn't want to look like a fool if um, I didn't know what I was talking about. So of course that's making me a little nervous too, but you learn, you, that's why you got to do your research and that's why you got to look things up. So yeah, 
But honestly, I'm more I excited. I will nervous. plug myself. I am a pretty great debater, and I would be happy to uh, pretend to be a, a radical leftist if you needed. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> if you needed to bounce some arguments off of someone, uh, which is funny. Stephen Crowder does that. He pretends to be like a woke college student and debates himself. Uh, but yeah. Happy to do that if you're interested. Uh, but go on. Yeah, I will definitely call you up on that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, but honestly, just meeting the people and it's actually been kind of fun so far, you know, and just um, getting to know the needs of the community and different groups of people. And I mean, you, you vote, you run because you love the people, you love the state of Virginia. And I just want people to know that. You know, if I am fortunate enough to win in November, um, I believe I work for you, Pete. I work for my constituents. And time and time again, a lot of politicians have forgotten that they work for the people. And um, it, that's why so many people are frustrated with our politicians. And so it's time to have people in our General Assembly that realize they work for the people. We serve the people. That's what it's about. It's not about us. It's not about the people making us wealthy or the people making us powerful. It's about working for the people. That's what this country is about, you know, um, and we got to get back to that. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> it definitely seems like politics has been moving it's like a, a fusion of fame, popularity, whatever you wanted to call it, and power and influence. It's just, yeah. uh, and, you know, public servant or any type of service mentality has been removed. And then, of course, like you said, the, the wealth, you know, some of these career politicians have extreme wealth. And I don't think it's from fiscal responsibility and budgeting and saving and investing. It's, it's from dealing in our futures and, and the health and stability of our country. Um, and then sometimes they get caught and they're just like, Oh, I didn't know I shouldn't do that. And mm. everyone's like, Oh, it's fine. It's too much work to vote for someone else. And, um, yeah, politicians are definitely leveraging the no like trust factor because, you know, you look at someone like Joe Biden, who's now president of the United States, has been in politics for almost, you know, for half of a century. Yeah. And, you, I think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, and I'm not trying to be, you know, a jerk here. I, survey his career, I think, about the policy impact that he's had. And it's been next to nothing. And he's sponsored, co-sponsored, wrote, you know, lobbied for things that he's totally against now um, when it comes to incarceration, law enforcement practices, drug use, same-sex marriage, um, he has completely rolled over on all of these issues uh, in breakneck time. You know, I'm talking about, I don't know why I remember this because I'm like early 30s, uh, so mm -hmm. I'm not very old. But in the 90s, Joe Biden was against all this stuff. 
That's not long ago. No, it's not. <laughs> That's not long ago. It's 2021. So, yeah, 95, 99, and now, you know, and some of it's laughable. When I remember hearing on the, the campaign trail when he was telling this story about when he was seven years old, uh, watching the two men kiss out in public, outside of the workplace, because that definitely sounds like something that would happen. Uh, and just being all gung ho about it. And I'm just like, Joe, this is obviously a lie. This is obviously a lie. While you were an adult, you were saying that this was not permittable. Uh, you were saying that this needs to be kept out of the public view. Anyway, uh, don't want to go down that rabbit hole. It's, it, it is what it is. Uh, and it's because they're, they're not about serving people. They're not about working for people. And that's a lot of politicians, not just of this party or that party. Um, you can really just pluck a few. Um, and you see it. Like, think about Abigail Spanberger kind of yeah. rose in popularity from being leaked um, in an internal um, Democrat call uh, where she was saying common sense stuff. Hey, we can't say radical stuff. We live in the United States of America, the nation that defeated communism, socialism. We can't push socialist stuff. And it was, she was actually saying we can't use the words. It wasn't, she wasn't even saying we can't believe this. She said, hey, we can't say that we're socialists. We can't say that we want to defund and abolish police. Uh, and, it didn't work out too well for her. Not because now she. Why is she voting for it if she if she was saying this? You know, yeah. It's kind of like you know. Uh, why are you voting for this then? You know. Yeah. Well, it was why, it was supposed to be private. Yeah. Why are you voting for this? Because it's very clear that you know you're going along with uh, the HR1 bill. <laughs> you know, you were in along with, um, which is very serious. You're going along with the Democrats on everything. And um, it's kind of just like you, you talk a big game, but when it comes down to voting, you're going with them, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, wow. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of integrity. Um, no. And... I, I can say, you know, I, I'm a Republican, obviously, it's not a secret, um, but on the integrity card, um, when it comes down to it, there's just a lot more disingenuous behavior on the other side. Um, yeah. And because they, they change back and forth, whichever way kind of social opinion is going, um, without even addressing the fact that Oh, yeah. I, I spoke out against gay marriage. I co-sponsored the defense of marriage bill. Uh, yeah. But actually, I always I always supported it. And it's like, so then you lied. You were a liar then or okay. you're lying now or you're just, you know, a suit. You just believe whatever, you know, just launch an app. Just do a, a polling app and Whatever the people say, that's what your vote is, or whatever the the trending tweet is, that's what your opinion is. You know, don't even bother having an office, having a press secretary. Just whatever's trending is obviously what you believe. So uh, we're coming up on. Go ahead. 
or I'll say what I need to say to get votes and then I'll do what I want when I'm in office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never, politicians do that. <laughs> uh, so we're counting up on 40 minutes. Um, I, I always ask the last question of every guest is the same and I've gotten some really interesting answers, but um, aside from a prescriptive religious text, so, you know, the Holy Bible's out, Quran's out. Um, if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, what would you pick and why? I would pick, we were all born innocent. We were all, we were, you know, when we're, when we're born, I don't care what ethnicity you are, what color you are, who you are, where you're from. You're born innocent. You're not born with hate. Um, you know, my husband brought up a good point at his work the other day. He said, um, you know what? If a African-American baby and a Caucasian baby see each other on the floor, they're going to play with each other. They, Because they see each other as just babies and friends. They don't see anything else. Their minds are innocent. You're taught to hate. You're taught to think that um, so another ethnicity is bad, another race is bad. I would say we're all born equal, we're all born innocent, and we all need uh, and we need to get back to looking at people as people and not categorizing everybody into groups. We're all God's children. And we're all born innocent, and we need to teach our children that innocence. And we need to teach our children to love everybody. And mm -hmm. we need to strive, everybody, we need to strive for better. And so when we use ethnicity or race, it cripples us. It absolutely cripples us. And so, you know what? Everybody is born, you're born innocent you're taught to hate. And so our kids, these kids, a lot of our, the students that were protesting last summer and, and were protesting against what they felt was going on was taught to them. It was taught to them through their parents. It was taught to them, I hate to say it, through teachers. It was taught to them. And that's where the problem lies and that's where the division is, is caused in our society. Yeah. You know, un, unfortunately, I feel some people could read the book and still not get it. But, you know, we have to think about who is teaching the hatred aspect. Uh, it's not conservatives. It's not no. Lindsey Graham or Ted Cruz or Michael Knowles and Ben Shapiro or Donald Trump. They're not the ones sitting kids down and saying, just looking at their immutable characteristics and saying, you're right. So you don't like black people. You don't like Hispanic people. You don't, broadly speaking, you don't like immigrants. doesn't matter where they're from. Uh, they're not looking in, at black kids and saying, ah, you're not capable of this, this, and this. You think this, uh, and white people hate you. Um, we're not doing that. If we're being honest, the left, you guys are the ones that's doing that. And it's dangerous because it's people say like political ideology, dogma, indoctrination. 
you know, it's not because they're buzzwords. It's because that type of programming will come out later in life and we'll have to deal with it. Um, and it, Historically, it's it's been pretty bad. It's been uh, extremely confrontational, um, and just bad. So I, I don't know where it's going, but uh, yeah. we're not the ones oh. preaching that gospel. The All the right. divisiveness. So um, nope. But I hadn't heard of this book. Uh, I will check it out. I'm trying to make a list of all the, the books. Maybe I'll put out a yearly list of the Joe Mobley show book recommendations. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's true. That's a hundred percent true. Uh, yeah. Well, Julie, thanks so much for joining us. Um, again, uh, you guys have just been listening to Julie Perry, uh, who is a teacher and a wife. Um, and she's, you know, running for Virginia house of delegates, um, if you live in her district, the 86, then uh, one, register to vote, uh, and two, get online, understand the the candidates, understand the policies and the implications of who you're voting for, and vote. You know, if if you like higher taxes and for school curriculums to be classified and redacted so you can't read them or see them and uh, if, if you like for, um, you know, if your kid is black for them to learn that they're lesser and less capable than others. And if your kid is white for them to learn that they're an oppressor and they're actively racist and holding down other students. And, um, you know, if you wouldn't like for your kids to be able to excel because outcomes need to be equal, um, and equity, whatever that means, uh, then vote that way. But if you don't want that stuff, then you should vote for Julie Perry. Uh, yeah, can't can't say it any different than that. <laughs> and I just realized I did forget the website. So um, definitely check out julieforhouse.com. Um, you know, if the spirit moves, then click that donate button uh, and donate because, you know, candidates need word of mouth, they need advertisement, um, name recognition, but they also need money. Uh, so I think we've checked the other boxes and you guys can click on that website and click that donate here, uh, button. You can also check her out on social media, Julie Perry for delegate. Uh, and thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.